This is The One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider and discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episodes so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. In this episode, I welcome on my colleague, Dr. Laura M. Brown, who's a registered naturopathic doctor from Guelph, Ontario. She's also the recent author of the book, Beyond Digestion, How Your Gut Connects to Your Mind, Body, and Soul. In this conversation, we look at various aspects of gut health, including Dr. Brown's personal philosophy towards digestive health. We discuss food intolerances and the nuances. We discuss gut testing and also go into the mind, body, and soul aspects of gut health. So without further ado, please enjoy the next episode of the One Thing Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Laura Brown, and I will introduce her first. Um, She's uh, been so gracious to join us today. Let me just give you a little bit of background on Dr. Brown. Dr. Laura M. Brown is a registered naturopathic doctor with a functional medicine approach. She focuses on stimulating the body's natural mechanisms to repair damage and rebuild health. She is a heart math certified practitioner, a level two certified gluten-free practitioner, and holds the designation of ADAPT trained practitioner from the Cresser Institute, the only functional medicine and ancestral health training company. Titled Miss Teen Ontario at age 16, Dr. Brown battled many health challenges on her own, ultimately prevailing through naturopathic medicine. Personally, she writes, gardens, hikes, and entertains on 20 beautiful acres in the heart of Ontario, Canada. You can learn more about her by going to southendguelph.ca. That's southendguelph.ca. Dr. Brown, welcome to the One Thing Podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Rindy. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here today. Yeah, it's it's great to have you. Um, so first of all, I just wanted to um, say congratulations on your new book. Um, how's it feel to complete a book and have it actually in your hands? Yeah, it feels pretty, pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, pretty good. When did you start writing? Um, when, when did the project start? Uh, September 2019. So really great timing ahead of the whole COVID thing, because as as we were all in our homes more um, with less interaction, it actually was pretty advantageous to be writing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's all these uh, amazing stories that have come out of this period of time of people being able to finally do some things that they never really had the time to do or or didn't have the right setting to accomplish, uh, you know, various projects. Yeah, creativity is awesome. Yes. So, well, it's always great to be talking to someone who um, also focuses on gut health. Um and I feel like we often are kind of a, uh, a group of people who have similar, similar ways of practice or similar ways of viewing health. What, what's your 
what's driven you to digestive health and gut health? Um, essentially my own gut because <laughs> it hasn't been too friendly, but uh, lots of issues with my own digestion through the years and trying to, you know, piece that apart and figure it out. Um, when I had competed in some fitness competitions when I was younger, I really learned how food affects the body and in some interesting ways, not all, not all good, but, you know, learned a lot from it. But I always wondered when I was preparing why I had such, you know, mental clarity and felt so much better. And it took me a while to figure out that, you know, gluten was a part of that. And, um, you know, it wasn't something that came, you know, right away. It was in my 30s when I realized that that was an issue for me. But as I pieced the pieces of the puzzle together, you know, hindsight is uh, is wonderful. And, you know, with that, of course, as you know, on practice, you often attract people into your practice that have similar issues that you do, even when you might not know it, yeah. And, you know, they often teach us. And I mean, that's a lot of the patient stories that I share in my book because my patients have taught me so much and, you know, often to look at things that are lurking in my own shadows that I'm not aware of. And it's like, Oh, huh, never thought of that. Let's see. And, um, you know, as a naturopath, we're often eager to go down the paths for other people and not worry too much about ourselves, but here I do the path together and um, really prevailing through, um, you know, naturopathic medicine, the ability to do the, you know, the testing on the food sensitivities, the ability to look at what is in our microbiome to see what's not quite right. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's it's really part of my path and uh, the learning never ends. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, it's um, definitely gives you a, a good feel for um when the heart of a condition is um, digestively oriented, right? You know, when you've when you've gone through some of those challenges yourself, it does. And I find, you know, people come into clinic, and you know, you know, those cases that just aren't aren't getting solved. And people have been to multiple doctors, and they can't figure out what's going on. And you know, sometimes I'll be thinking really hard and trying to figure out what it would be and I'll be going down all these different paths and then I'll sleep on it and I'll be wake up and I'll be like, what about the gut? What's going on in the gut? And more often than not, it's what's going on in the gut. And then we come back to it and addressing it, you know, it, it, things, things tend to improve. You know, it's not always a cure-all, but if you can see improvement in some of these chronic diseases and people, you know, feeling better and be able to have better quality of life, Mm -hmm. that's a landmark yes yeah so i'm always curious as to how someone comes up with the title of their book like your book says beyond digestion it's like the the main title can you um tell us like how you thought of that title and what you know what led to kind of ultimately deciding on the title of your book well when we take things on that are more than we can digest at any one time and i talk about that and our gut is our primary sensing organ. So we are sensing things energetically or um, in, environmentally. So energetically through emotions and stress and things like that. And environmentally through our food, right? We, we you know, taking it in, our, our gastrointestinal tube starts at our mouth, ends at our bum, and that's kind of our skin on the inside. So we're, we're, we're um, taking that in. But we have to process both um, emotional chemicals and we have to process drug chemicals and food chemicals and things like that. 
And we know from the research that when we take on more than we can um, digest in any one period of time, like in times of of grief or abuse or trauma or negative life events, we see an increase in irritable bowel syndrome. We see an increase in other types of chronic diseases. What's going on? Um, so I, you know, the, there's all of that science stuff. And then there's this, the side of me knowing that sometimes things are just beyond my digestion, right? It'd, mm-hmm. be, it'd be a turn. You know, this is just beyond digestion. I can't, I can't do it. Right. Whether it's emotionally, um, or whether that's food-wise, and uh, so, and this book is about both, right? It's it's about how we're knit together. It's that mm-hmm. physical, emotional, cognitive, and spiritual aspects, and how we're knit together. And sometimes things are just beyond our digestion, and that's what this is about. Yeah, I like that, and I like that um, you point out in your book there was like a workshop that you were attending and the practitioner asked you, how are you digesting the universe? <laughs> I love that term. Uh, I think it, it, it says so much. Yeah. I, I um, yeah. Issues letting go. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, she's, we were, we were doing, um, we were doing some hands-on training and she had her hands and it was, you know, right on my, right on my gut where the top of my stomach kind of comes in and she's like, Laura, how are you digesting life? And, and the first time we were, I was at the course, I just like, oh, you know, that's nice, Verna. Thank you. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I'll have to think on that. But I know there's something there, you know, those shadows lurking. And then the second time I went back, we were doing more training. And, you know, this time it was like head and neck stuff. And she's zeroing right in on my gut. Laura, how are you digesting life? And I'm just like, oh, baby, this is coming at me. Yeah. Yeah, if it's... Uh... It's one of those things. It's it's such a question, and and uh, there's there's so many layers to it. So I really like how your book um, doesn't doesn't just go through kind of like the you know kind of the pure um, gastroenterology um, anatomical approach to you know digestion and absorption. You you tie in these other aspects that you're talking about, such as you know, emotional health and um, well-being and how the brain and the gut interact with our, with each other. So it's, it's, it's good. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult uh, task to represent gut health in the right way um, because it's, it's very complex. It's, you know, it's not just this tube that runs through our body. No, Uh, like you're so right. And there's lots of books out there that talk about, you know, what food to eat, talk about, you know, how, you know, yeah, yeah, the anatomical, how we digest food, you know, that tube that runs through. And then there's the gut health, you know, the gut brain access. There's lots of information on that. And then there's lots of books on the microbiome and they talk just about the microbiome. Mm -hmm. What infinitely intrigues me is how we're knit together. What knits us together? Yeah. And and, um, I think the gut has a lot of answers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so let's go into a little bit of this. Um, you know, there's there's a couple things that you point out in the book that you you do for testing, um, and I, I just want to hear a little bit more about your thought process. I mean, when I'm when I'm thinking about evaluating the the gut, there there's just so many different ways you can go about it, and you really um, mentioned three or so tests that you like to look at. And can you just comment on those tests and why you feel that those are preferable? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I always say there's many ways to climb the mountain and always looking for the window in which makes best sense for the patient, both clinically, but also uh, for us up here, budget-wise, because we're paying for a lot of these things out of mm-hmm. our pocket. So it's finding what makes best sense. Um, and the top three tests are, you know, the food sensitivity test, which is by no means perfect, but it gives us a helpful place to start. Um, and then the comprehensive stool analysis with the parasitology, looking at both the PCR and the, um, the micro um, culture, looking at things under the microscope. Um, so that one, and then the, um, the gluten testing because seven out of 10 people are, you know, if your test will have some type of gluten sensitivity, not necessarily celiac, but, um, the non-celiac sensitivity. Yeah. Those are, the, those are the top three that, um, I like to present and discuss the options with, with the patient. We, um, you know, I, you know, as a practitioner, as you know, it's, we'd love to have all the data you can. Mm-hmm. Not always, not always feasible. Great when it is, because it gives you a more complete picture. But you also still have that patient sitting in front of you, and they live in their body twenty four seven. And the more that you can connect with the patient themselves and understand what it's like to be them um, in their day to day life and what's limiting them, you start to um, get a sense for what the obstacles are, and the testing often is confirming it. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, you use uh, the Cyrex test, I think, um, for gluten, right? Um, I use the Cyrex Array 3X test. Yes, that's the one that we're able to get in Ontario. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because of provincial regulations, sometimes we're limited to other good tests that might be available, but that's the one I tend to use in practice. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, I think a lot of people don't realize, and you point this out in your book, is that there's um, that the tissue tra- transglutaminase antibodies can, which is the antibody that's detected in celiac disease, that um, there's actually various tissues that can specifically target. Um, you talk about that a little bit in your book, you know, such as how that particular test can isolate whether um, the autoimmune attack is on brain tissue or gut tissue or both. Can you just comment a little bit about that? I thought, I thought that's a fascinating test that um, is not generally available. Yeah, I really like it um, because it, I mean, when typically in, you know, in our provincial testing, if a conventional doctor were to send somebody, they're going to test on the tissue transglutaminase too. Right, which is typical for the gut villi, which you would see, um, and it would help lead people to um, further testing potentially if they saw something going on there for celiac disease, right? Mm-hmm. But as we're learning, um, the um, damage that gluten does isn't just in the villi necessarily. Sometimes the, the damage can be done through the skin. And the reason why is because there can be a cross-contamination with the actomyosin layer within the gastrointestinal tract, which is part of the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we have a skin on our hands and our feet and everything, um, but we also have skin in, you know, skin within, right? And it's really thin. So, um, hey, that rhymes. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, um, so anyway, so the actomyosin layer is something that you can get that, that cross-reaction and end with that autoimmune reaction within the rest of the body. So now you have that same layer around your liver, around your you know, different organs. 
you know, you have that in other parts of your connective tissue and the other parts of your skin. So you may have a gluten autoimmune reaction happening within the skin. So there's that side of it. And then, you know, the type six, the tissue transglutaminase six, um, that one is essentially the nervous system in the brain. And we see that with the cerebellar ataxia, you know, that you know, people having difficulties walking um, sometimes in the nervous system with uh, multiple sclerosis, that type of thing. And the research may not be definitive, um, but it's strongly building. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so many people come in with um, brain complaints, right? Like brain fog, memory issues, focus issues, and they'll, they'll go through lots of evaluation and work up through neurologists or psychiatrists and what have you, and sometimes left without answers. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's really important to kind of check that box to see if the cross reaction with gluten is actually happening on brain tissue. I mean, we learned about, you know, the brain, the extra intestinal symptoms of celiac disease in medical school. Right. And, but it often just kinds of gets thought about as being purely as a gut reaction. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that you pointed that out because I think that's a growing area of, like you said, research for um, gluten related disorders. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sometimes there is no tummy ache. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so that's, you know, the, the, uh, the, the food sensitivity testing, now that that's always been kind of a bane of my existence. Um, <laughs> and I think also for patients, um, yeah. I think it, it's, it's always something that I wish it was, um, more solid. What do you, what do you see happening with food sensitivity testing? Well, it's interesting because I'll do blood work um, and a couple of different types of blood work. Um, and I'll, 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 I will do electrodermal screening in the clinic. Um, and I find food sensitivity testing is, you know, 80 to 90% accurate. Mm. Um, but if somebody's quiet enough in their own body, they often already know. Mm. Okay. Like if I'm running testing, they'll be like, yeah, well, I never eat that. And I'm like, and why? Like, what's the reason why you don't eat that, right? Because the body already knows. Um, So I use it as a guided elimination tool, right? And if something doesn't make sense on the test, then we we work with that clinically. But it is a guided elimination tool. And I have found it is helpful because it does pick up on quite a bit. Um, The LCAT test is one that they'll take the food antigen and they'll introduce it to the white blood cell one at a time. And then they'll be able to see how does that, how does your immune system actually react to it? So that one can be quite interesting. Um, and then the, there are some blood tests that are run. I don't often use the IgG testing. I find those are, um, I don't know. I don't find them as helpful to work with. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would do the electrodermal screening in the clinic as something cheap and cheerful. And it, you know, it does give us, you know, it's not clinic. I always say it's not clinically diagnostic. It doesn't diagnose or treat anything, but it's a really great start. And, and actually working with it can be pretty helpful. And I'll run mine. I'll run mine on myself once Mm -hmm. or twice a year. And yeah, it's, I mean, except for maybe one thing on there, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's one of those things. I can see why it's kind of a vein of your existence because they're not entirely accurate. They're difficult to interpret. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, that's where I, that, they have a place and a purpose and that's how I use them. Um, keeping in mind that they are not perfect, but sometimes they can reveal things that are very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I've also been moving towards more of the LCAT testing because his, um, from, from a standpoint, like a biochemical standpoint, what they're, what they're testing makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah. you know, as far as like, uh, mediators of inflammation so it's yeah it's it's interesting just to hear other people talk about it and i I resonate with what you're saying um so when people have food sensitivities you know like uh, oftentimes we'll get um these reports back or they'll go through food sensitive testing and there's there's a lot of uh, information that comes back as far as potentially reactive foods. How do you help people cope with food sensitivities just in your, in your practice? Well, first of all, if, if somebody's coming back with multiple things coming up, typically that means they've got a leaky gut, mm-hmm. right? Like the, this, the system is responding to things that are reaching the gastrointestinal barrier that really should be kept in that food bowl that's going down through the track. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, um, you know, elimination diet that suits them for the time being. And I usually say you would avoid, you know, the things that come up stronger. You're avoiding those for one to three months, depending on how long they've had the condition. Mm-hmm. And then we would work on healing the gut barrier. We would work on the, um, the dysbiosis that's likely in the gut causing mm-hmm. that because typically it's an overgrowth of some type of gram negative bacteria or a parasite or some yeast. So we're looking at, you know, cleaning that up, healing the gut lining, eliminating those foods. And then after a period of time, reintroducing one at a time. So I would say, you know, say we've got food a, and people sometimes ask me, what order do I reintroduce? And I I'll say, well, it's either, um, if there's something you're really missing, let's reintroduce that first. But if that's the something that you're suspecting is what's really bothering you, then maybe we leave it to the end. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's more of those benign things that would be typically benign. Um, yeah. Because in a leaky gut, typically we're looking at, you know, gluten, dairy, sugar, kind of top offenders. If we have, you know, joint pain, you know, arthritis, then we're looking maybe at the nightshades. Okay. Um, so kind of looking at, at those sometimes. But sometimes, you know, it could be lectins or it could it could be FODMAPs. It could be other types of things. It can go all over the map, right? Like mm-hmm. really it's, it can be quite crazy and and people can get a little bit um, nutso with it all, really, you know, there's a nice medical term there, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it can happen. So it's, it's trying to be realistic because we know that the, a varied diet is the best diet because variety is important. Um, but it's, it's introducing those foods one at a time. So I would say, so if you had food A, so say, say we're reintroducing, um, you know, an avocado. So that we would have avocado three times, you know, three times a day for three days. If we had an issue, then we would stop immediately. We would record it. We'd stay off avocados for another maybe month before we try them again. Mm-hmm. We, would give, we would give the, um, the gastrointestinal tract the time to heal, which is three to five days, it will turn over before we reintroduce another food. So then we would go food B. 
and then give it a try and see how it is. Now, say you ate the avocado and there was no issue. You were okay. Maybe you just needed a break from it. Because mm-hmm. uh, I see that too. And I'll tell you about that in a second. But um, so if we reintroduce the avocado and you eat it, you know, two or three times a day for a few days and eh, I don't notice any difference. Great. Keep eating the avocado. Introduce the next food. And, and away you go. Um, a cute little story. I had one um, had a teacher in once and she... Um, bananas came up really high and i'm like what's with the bananas <laughs> i mean do you eat bananas and she goes yeah i love bananas i eat them every day and i'm like how many do you eat every day and she goes oh about three of them yeah and i said well how long have you been eating three bananas a day and she said well since i started teaching you know about 40 years and i said well they're coming up a little high and maybe we just need to back off the bananas <laughs> Right. So she just needed to take a break from them. It was just too much. Sometimes we lack that variety. We get into a habit and we've got something that's really convenient that works for us and great. Uh, but sometimes we overdo it and we just need to have a little break from them. And, and then we're okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like you you help people with that structure of like navigating this world of food sensitivities. I mean, it's it it's probably helpful that you've held yourself um, you've gone through that kind of struggle yourself, right? Um, I think you even mentioned it in the book where it was like, you just decided one day to kind of, to just accept and go forward with the issues you were having related to food. Maybe you were talking about like a, a trip you were with, with your husband and I can't remember exactly the line, but it, it caught my attention. <laughs> yeah, there's been a couple trips. There was, uh, I mean, the first time when I was trying to figure out what was going on, I'd, I'd had, I had a lot of eczema and rashes around my ears and my face and you know, lots of stuff going on. And um, so I had eliminated all the gluten and thought oats were fine. So I'd taken, is that the story you're remembering? Yes. Yeah. I had taken the steel cut oats with me because I thought, oh, because we had like a, a little kitchen we could do breakfast in and that was pretty handy. So, well, this would be good. I'll make some up and I'll have them for the week. It'll be super easy. And then, you know, get there and I've got my little Ziploc with my steel cut oats and pulling out a suitcase and putting on the counter and my husband's looking at me and he's going, you know, I think that's causing your rashes. And, hmm. and I'm like, oh. And I knew like oats is a cousin of wheat and I'm, think, I'm thinking, good, I'm still good with it because I love it. <laughs> And, uh, and I'm like, oh, geez, what if he's right? And I'm like, okay, what have I got to lose? You know, so I just opened up the trash can, put the oats in. Yeah. I, I got to literally do this because else I'd probably cook them. Um, and, yeah. and I said, okay, I, I, let's try it. And, you know, about three weeks later, my skin was clear. Yeah. I, I totally was off it. And, and I tease in the book, yeah, because so was my humility, because, you know, my husband's diet isn't, uh, isn't always uh, right. like my poster child, I say. And, <laughs> he, tra- he tries really hard and he does, he, he does his best. But, uh, you know, at the time I'm going, oh, man, what if he's right about my diet? How could that be? <laughs> so, anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he, yeah. he needs to be, he needs to get a, an honorary ND degree yeah, <laughs> for like sleuthing, that. for sleuthing <laughs> that out. <laughs> so, um, sure. well, that's, uh, that, yeah, I think the, the interesting thing about that process is like, um, when people do identify that they have a food intolerance and it actually pans out, then it's all worth it, right? It's it's the not knowing of the process that makes it so difficult. Like, is this going to be something that I'm reactive to based on, you know, the data I have so far? And 
I think that's the most difficult part. But if you do find a food sensitivity that, you know, you identify and it clearly improves your life and well-being, it's so worth it. Yeah. And I find that, you know, sometimes after doing that elimination and then you reintroduce um, and maybe it's going well and then maybe you start getting that, re- you know, that skin rash or whatever, you know, a month or so down the road. Um I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's, maybe it's not an all or nothing, right? Maybe it's, it's a percentage. Maybe you can, you can, you know, have this, you know, 15% of the time, maybe 85% of the time, you know, you should stay away from it. So then it's like food rotation or Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Can handle, some people can handle certain foods and be okay with small amounts. We know most people lose their lactase enzyme to digest lactose in milk as we age. Right. Um, so some people it's okay to have a little bit of cream in their coffee, but if they were to have a glass of milk, that'd be a no go. Right. Right. So it's sometimes quantity too. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I'm going after being doing this for some, some time is that working on finding modifications within those, those food intolerances, you know, such as like, well, maybe try a different brand, um, or, you know, that's, made in a different facility, you know, various other attempts to try to incorporate food intolerances that, you know, um, so that people, people have exhausted their options within that food intolerance. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's good to have modifications like you're, you're, you're mentioning. Mm. Um, so the, there's a couple of nice things you bring up. Um, you know, I, I want everybody to go out and get your books. I'm not wanting you to spill the beans, <laughs> but <laughs> the um, I'd love to hear just about one of the healing foods that you mentioned that um, I really liked hearing was like the baked apples. So um, those that was an interesting kind of recipe you put in the book. Um, can you talk about why why you like baked apples and what they might do for the gut? Yeah, I love baked apples too. Uh, especially, you got to leave the skin on. That's the whole idea. And I mean, preferably organic, right? If you can, but if you can't, make sure you wash the outside with some vinegar and water, um, or lemon juice and water to try to um, break down the um, the pesticides because apples are heavily sprayed. If they're, you know, even organic ones could have an off spray or something. So still wash them, obviously, but leave the skin on. And then as you're baking them, and you can put them in the oven, you could also just chop them and put them in a pot too, because it's the heat that um, releases between the, the skin and the, the fruit, there's the pectin that's released with the heat. And that pectin is very helpful for healing the gut lining. So it's pretty simple. You always, we always said an apple a day keeps the doctor away. So this time it's cold, right? So it makes right. a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So the, um, the release of that pectin and that pectin in the layers of the gut can be, um, can be quite helpful for healing the lining. Um, mm-hmm. And people tend to love it. Um, they, they love that prescription and they'll do it. And I mean, as you know, um, if so, you, can, you can talk about all these great things in the naturopathic world, but if people aren't willing to do it, like I always say, just be honest. If that's not working for you, we'll find something else. But yeah. so... Yeah, most people like the apples. Yeah. yeah, sprinkle some cinnamon on it. That's a nice uh, antimicrobial, you know, like a gentle antimicrobial biofilm eradicator. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's really fun when you find foods that heal the gut. I mean, I think that's just fascinating. You know, even things like ghee, you know, and um, 
you know, chia seeds. And uh, it's just, it's just fascinating when you really dive into what's out there as far as gut protective and gut healing foods. Absolutely. Um, Food is really our medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, the, uh, the other thing that really jumped out when I was kind of reading your book and um, just looking into your background, something of personal interest to me is, you know, the use of um, biofeedback and heart rate variability. You've gone to some pretty in-depth training, like with heart math. And I've always been fascinated um, about connecting heart math with the gut and or just how you use heart math, which is basically a system of of um, mindfulness and heart rate variability training and meditation. It's kind of all in one. Right. Um, how do you use that in your practice when it relates to gut health? Um, pretty simply put like stress management, because we okay. know stress affects the gut. Um, we know that, um, heart, like our, our heart, each beat to beat variation of the heart has a signature emotion and we can actually regulate our physiology by regulating the, um, the heart rate variability or the beat to beat variation. And we can do that with our breath and with focused intention. Mm-hmm. And this is what um, what the Heart Math program teaches is that very you know that, that ability to to address that and to affect that. When I'm using it in practice, I mean you have to think we're all everything is energy, right? Um, everything has a vibration, and if we are looking at the heart rate variability uh, when we're frustrated, it's really jaggedy. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like you're on edge, literally. Mm-hmm. Right, and when we're really apathetic or in grief, it's really low, mm-hmm. right? low vibration. And then we know that when we're in the flow, in that creative flow, in that um, place of um, love, care, or gratitude, it's very much of a sine wave. It's really smooth, right? Really smooth. And that is the area that we are healthiest is when mm-hmm. we're in that nice smooth sine wave. So if we can affect, you know with the heart rhythm to be there, how is that now affecting the rest of the body? And we are electromagnetic beings and that's going to affect in the gut also is affected by vibration. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some studies, um, not a lot, not as many as I'd like, but it's, uh, you know, it's affected by vibration. So um, attuning to a smoother vibration is affecting our physiology down-regulating all of the stress hormones, right? So we have less cortisol running around. Cortisol is brutal on the gut if it's not within our proper rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. We have a natural cortisol rhythm, which is pretty healthy, but when we're pumping out a bunch of it, it's not so nice. And as I talked about at the beginning, you know, um, you know, when our, when we take on more than we can digest, when we have, you know, times of, of intense emotions, it's really our ability to emotionally regulate and how we respond to the stress that makes the difference. So the HeartMath um, program allows me to help people become more um, emotionally intelligent and be able to emotionally regulate so that you're managing your stress so that um, it doesn't have such an impact on the gut. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
I mean, that was, I mean, that's why I went. And I mean, of course, as a practitioner, it's like, I'm not going to a course. I'm going to learn how to do it so I can teach everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and people come back years later and say, you know what? I still do that heart math stuff. I love it. Thank you. And you don't, you know, I mean, they sell the, um, and I do the, the biofeedback so you can actually see because people want to know, am I doing it right? Yeah. But what the most important thing is not what the computer is saying. I mean, that's helpful because it's confirmatory and affirmatory. But what's best is what people are feeling in their body. It's like, okay, now what are you feeling in your body? And it's teaching them those subtle things. Yeah. And I talk about, you know, listening, listening to your body, yeah. listening to it when it shouts. Yes. But also listening to when it whispers to it. Mm-hmm. Those are the finer things. So it's people tuning in, mm-hmm. so helping them understand that connection bridges the gap between um, their experience in their body and what science is saying and kind of bringing that together. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. I always, you know, you hear when patients come back from a vacation or what have you is my gut was, you know, after a few days, my gut was, was perfect on vacation. Right. And, uh, and I always ask them like, how was the vacation? Like, who were you with? What, what, you know, what was your mood like? Oh, it was amazing. We, you know, and then they list the number of things that they did and the, the great time they had. And, you know, the heart math reminds me of like training yourself to feel like you're on vacation, even during times when you're not. <laughs> That's so true. I mean, I always say it's like a little mini mental vacation and it's teaching people to engage in that experience, to re-experience. And I'll often take them back to their favorite vacation. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. 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 And, and help them engage their five senses while they're in that experience, taking them back to, um, to be in that present moment now. <sighs> Yeah. yeah, it's it's fascinating because so much of the digestive experience begins, you know, with things that have nothing to do with the actual first bite. You know, it's like seeing, smelling, um, what you're, what kind of state of mind you're in. It trickles down downstream, as they say. You know, so it's it's. I think it's such an overlooked part of this, and I've often wondered if there would be a way of um, having people do heart math when they're reintroducing foods, you know, for, that they've been sensitive to and see if they have increased tolerance if they do some type of mindfulness work before, uh, before they do like a challenge. Do you ever do anything like that? I once brought it up to someone, a close colleague of me, and she laughed like, it was ridiculous, but I, I still like, that was like eight years ago. I still think it would be a really interesting experiment to have people do mindfulness work before they're, you know, if they're having some food aversions or if they're having um, troubles with uh, food intolerances and then reintroducing. I think it's a fabulous idea. Maybe a study to, to figure that out. Yeah. In all our fair, our spare time. Right? All our spare time. And, and, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but, you know, the concept is there because, you know, if your gut is happy and you have to think all those microbes, right? These, you know, we, we have 10 times the amount of microbe cells than we do human cells. And 99% of the genes we carry around are these bugs in our gut. And, I mean, we, we, we better keep them happy, right? Mm-hmm. And if they're happy, we're going to be happy because they're really sustaining us. 
And if if they like, you know, these calm waves and and uh, this, you know, this, you know, this experience where we're we're um, creating that nice sine wave within our heart and a nice calm environment, um, you have to think um, that's going to be helpful, you know, to them. But you know, you also think of the nervous system, right? The vagus nerve. You know, lots to talk about that. And if we're always in fight or flight, we're not in rest and digest. And we know there's other components and you know stages within the vagal nerve um, um, stage or those are the two main ones people often think of mm-hmm. um, but if if we are in the you know in that flow or in that place of gratitude or feeling like we're on vacation you know in that spot where where we um, we have that nice energy obviously the um, the vagal nerve is going to be you know sitting in a place where we're feeling safe and protected and we're, we're able to be calm and that's what we need in order to digest right yeah even just to release hydrochloric acid right it's you have to be more parasympathetic dominant to be able to to get into that that state so yeah it's it's fascinating and i'm i think one of the nice things about your approach is that you tie that in together with some of the more kind of classical approaches to gut healing you know um, so I think people will be drawn to, you know, to what you do because you're, you're also incorporating the mind body components. I think it's important. And I'm in, intimately fascinated with, you know, it was kind of the last layer. I talked about peeling the onion, but um, the last layer is the spiritual layer, like your soul, like what the heck does your digestion have to do with your soul? Right. But it's, um, it's understanding that whole yin and yang, um, you know, we've been in this, um, you know, Western society, just go, 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 just, you know, which is very yang, very outward, very movement oriented, right? And we know with every big yang, we need a strong yin to balance that out. And it's in the yin when we digest. And if we've always been in this go, 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 are we really digesting not only our food, but are we digesting the world around us? We, you know, you have to think, go, go, go. You have no time for other people. You're only thinking about what you have to do next. You're not, you know, less compassion, you know, less gratitude because you're just, you know, you're task oriented, very left brain, logical, you know, you know, that's the driver. That's, you know, the yang side. But then the yin side is, is our right brain. And this is what's connecting, you know, and this is where the information's coming up from our gut up into our brain. And, and we also think of the right side as our creative side and creativity is connected to the greater being, right? Mm-hmm. And this would be the connection into the soul. And we always, you know, I'm always thinking, you know, you know, the, um, you know, you, you always think, you know, it's the soul is in the heart, but I think the soul's also, you know, in the gut. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, you know, and, and I go down the esoteric paths on things there that would be far way out, but um, I find it intimately fascinating. And I think yeah. it'll be a while before science catches up. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny because uh, my uh, my rabbi once he asked me what you know I was telling him I was running off to give a talk on gut health. And he said, "Gut." He said, "Do you know what gut means in Yiddish, which is a um, you know kind of a, a language that developed in Eastern Europe um, amongst Jews?" And he said, "Gut means God." <laughs> I love it. That's great. I wish I'd know that. I would have wrote yeah, it. Yeah, but it's pronounced gut. But uh, yeah. So, anyways, it it it's fascinating. I I always think about that. You know, um, that there is that spirit connection. 
Well, you think, um, you know, the, um, the solar plexus, some people who look at, you know, in the Ayurvedic, they're looking at the solar plexus, which is a lot of um, how we how we interrelate with the world. Mm hmm. And this is a big, you know, area of soul connection too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's you know, it, it's we're all we're all tied together. Yep. So I, I read a lot of uh, materials from this um, famous uh, scientist Richard Feynman, and I, one of the things that he, he mentioned this week, and I, I wanted to ask you this question because, you know, he's he's no longer with us, but he. He stated that, you know, when he would talk to people that really are specialists in what they do and have really div dove deep and written books like you have, um, he ultimately finds that they're in a place of awe, you know, like because you get to a place where you realize there's certain things that still puzzle you about this topic, you know, and like unknown pieces that you're still trying to figure out. Um, when you kind of become an expert in areas and, you know, you kind of start your career with feeling like, oh, I'm, I've got this. I'm really good at, you know, I'm really confident and I can, I can help so many people. And then as you, the years go, you get, get into these complexities and these really complex cases and you kind of reach a point where you're like in awe because it's not as easy as it seemed. So would, does that resonate with you at all? Absolutely. I mean, if I always find the more you learn, the more you learn, you don't know. Right, right. And that's, that's another way of, of saying it. But I, I just curious, like, what, what are you up against? What are the edges of this frontier of gut health that um, still kind of are, are researching are really eager to learn? And it's there's, there's still some kind of puzzles that you're kind of figuring out? What are your current puzzles? Um, gluten and chronic disease. So doing hmm. more, more um, research into that. And I was, you know, I, I did a, an article for Naturopathic Currents. It's published now. You can look at it. Um, and it was, um, it was quite strong and, in, in, you know, even caught me off guard. It's like, you know, it can't be everything that's causing our issue and that it's causing issues and we're able to point our finger at it in a lot of ways. And then I'm like, well, what happens if, you know, we're really, you know, none of us really can digest gluten. It's just most people will repair from it before they eat it again. But for those who are susceptible, they don't ever repair. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, wow, that's a big proponent. But, you know, how are we going to substantiate from a agri-food industry to provide people with um, nutritious, easy, affordable food? Um, if we all go gluten-free, what happens? Right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's an interesting one. Um, and then I was doing some research on Saccharomyces boulardii, which mm -hmm. is a non-commensal yeast. And, you know, I've used it a lot. I even write about it in the book as one of the things that I go to. And, you know, I thought, oh, great, it helps us make IgA, you know, helps to constitute, right. you know, our, our immune defense in our gut this is good. I'll use that. Right. And then, so I, I was doing another article and um, I was floored at all the new stuff that I learned. I had heard about some stuff. So I thought, Oh, let's dig into it. Um, so lots, lots of infection control, microbiome balance, intestinal border health. Mm -hmm. It actually can bind to, um, organisms and prevent them from infecting us it um, works with our immune system yeah it's pretty cool 
Yeah, I love Saccharomyces boulardii. It's it's low cost too. I mean, it's you know that um, I think it can get into a lot of people's hands that need it. So it's mm-hmm. it's really it's really great that it's out there. And uh, yeah, yeah. There's just so much. I mean, when you open up the microbiome channel, um, you know, it's there's years and years and years of learning ahead of us. So. <laughs> It's it's really detailed, and sometimes the more you dig into the detail, like it's great to it's great to have that level of um, clarity. But sometimes I find you have to like pull the you have to pull the um, like take the camera lens out a little bit again right. and look look at things holistically, right? Right. That's our, that's our role as naturopathic doctors, right? Is to look at things holistically. Do your deep dive. Do your deep dive, but then come back out mm-hmm. and look at what are we dealing with as a whole. Yeah, um, because we know that what what is micro is macro. What's going on in us is also going on in our environment outside. Our gut is like a garden, right? And if you're looking at what's going on in the environment outside, you know, externally, you know, lo- losing, you know, varieties of fruits and vegetables, losing, um, you know, losing, you know, you know, our health of our environment. This is also being reflected within us, mm-hmm. and we are a reflection. I mean, think of the toxins. Think of the plastics. Um, that are in our diet, like, I mean, in our food, right? Plastics, you know, breaking down in the water, the fish are eating it, we're eating the fish, or, you know, it's getting into the streams and the cows are drinking it, getting in the milk, that type of thing. I haven't done a study on the cow milk, so don't quote me on that. I know the fish for sure. Um, but they, they even found that there's like plastic in people's poop. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's sometimes, yeah, looking at the real nitty-gritty details in the microbiome channels, but then also coming up out and, and you know, looking at the world. What are we doing? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I really like that in your book, how you take people through like a personal assessment of exposures, um, you know, environmental exposures. And it's really important to think of, especially since the gut liver access is so relevant, you know, it's, um, you know, the gut and the liver communicating and uh, that process often is overlooked. You know, you think about like the Western paradigm of treating gut issues. It's like, well, take this pill to suppress your acid or take this, you know, immune modulator to stop the inflammation. Nobody's thinking about like what's going down upstream, what's going, going on upstream or downstream. Like, well, the, the, the liver is needing to process these drugs. The liver is also processing microbiome metabolites. So it's just really great that you're, you know, with your training and your functional medicine training that you're able to kind of say, yeah, back out, like look at the big picture what of, of what's going on here. Um, I think that's just, you know, in general, the role of a clinician, right, is to make it, make all this in, in, information applicable and useful and actionable, right? Otherwise, it's just information, right? Yeah, and we're just, we're kind of, uh, yeah, just kind of talking academically, um, but the patient's suffering, they need help now, right? Yeah, yeah, and they and it has to be something that that they can grasp hold on. And I always say, you know, it's, it's about progress, not perfection, or evolution, not revolution. Just pick somewhere and go. I, um, you know, I was chatting with somebody else on the, on the author podcast with the, um, the uh, publishing company. And it was so, so funny. We talk about the book and everything. And he's like, what's one thing that you want everybody to know? 
And I just come out with, you know, just eat more vegetables. And I thought, oh, how lame is that? Like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's so true. Like, and I probably picked up on that because maybe this guy needed to eat more vegetables. <laughs> right. But it's so true. Like, if you can, you know, if you can just pick one thing, sometimes that small thing makes a big difference. And yeah. that might be vegetables. So I love vegetables. And I always say, you know, pro-vegetable, not pro-vegan, but pro-vegetable. Yeah. And um, if you can eat more of them, that's going to be, that's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. So eat a, b a bunch of vegetables slowly <laughs> with, <laughs> and chew them. And chew right. Them and enjoy yeah. them. And, yes. And, uh, um, think lovely thoughts, be in good company. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, I'm not going to ask you to uh, tell us to eat all more, more vegetables because you just did. <laughs> so, um, I, I would love to just kind of hear some just take home messages. Um, and then if you could just tell us about your book, where to purchase it and um, any like things that you're up to professionally and how people can follow you and get into contact with you. Certainly. Yeah. So, it's, you know, take home points um, is that your gut health, if you can influence your gut health, you have a ton of influence on the rest of your health. So, you know, taking care of it is um, a really good place to start. Mm -hmm. so that's, a, that's a key. And there's many different ways you can do that. As we had talked about, you know, healing the gut lining, getting the microbiome in balance, you know, helping support our, you know, detoxification. Our body's always detoxifying. Um, and, you know, listening to the body, you know, listening to when it screams, but also listening to when it whispers. So understanding that and getting more in tune with what's going on. Um, testing can be important, but it's not the be-all and end-all. You live in your body 24-7. Um, record what you're experiencing. Sometimes even just recording what you're eating and when you're eating and how you're feeling is a remarkable journey for some. Mm -hmm. so there's, there's many different ways to climb the mountain. It doesn't have to be big stuff. It can sometimes just be very small and can make a big difference. Um, talk about that. Lots of stuff. Obviously, you know, gut health connects to your mind, body, and soul. That's what the book looks like. Um, the um, I, I like the image that that we did on here. Yeah. People have told me, you know, it looks like the looks like the gut. It looks like the soul. You know, like the enigma for the soul. You know, it looks you know, the colors look like you threw up. Um, <laughs> makes you think of the microbiome so i mean it's like what do you think that has to do with it but um it was just you know the the sketch came to me one day i was like this is what needs to be on it and then yeah. and then uh, the publishing company did a great job with the artwork so um, yeah appreciative for that um it's live on amazon um yesterday it went up on amazon and for the first week as a book launch promo, the ebook is 99 cents for until next Tuesday. Okay. So if um, you have Kindle app or Kindle, um, you can download it for 99 cents mm -hmm. and have your read through. A lot of people have said that they've done that, um, but they've also ordered the, um, the, the paperback because it is a type of book that you want to underline and refer back to mm -hmm. um, so that that's, that's um, sometimes an option as well. So Amazon is a great place to uh, to order it, and that's worldwide. So Amazon.ca, .com, .uk, mm -hmm. Australia, it's it should be everywhere. Um, 
and then I do a lot of, um, as you and I had met on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. business stuff, posting information. If I find an interesting article, I might throw it up there with a few comments as to why I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, my Instagram is more like my nature walk. So if you want to go for a walk <laughs> with me on the, in the garden or yeah. on the trail, that's usually, usually that's what it is. This week's it's pictures of the book, but um, usually it's more just more that, you know, helping people rest and digest if they want to. You know, this is where I go to to, to have fun. Mm-hmm. Unplug is is uh, out in nature, so it's it's uh, sharing that with people so they can look through it. Um, and then um, my website, I do a lot of blogs on the website, and if I've done articles um, or podcasts like this, I'll often um, take the recording and post on the website. So yeah, it's it's a nice um, hub. Yeah, to go into to to peruse around into different things, and mm-hmm. I would say ninety percent of the pictures on there I've taken myself. Some of the family members have taken and let me share. Um, so I'm sharing some of my travels or my queer eye for things. Um, nice. My, my mom is the greatest photographer. And okay. I, I never was very good, so this is kind of my uh, my growing ground to. to so that's how you became yeah. Miss uh, Ontario. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was fitness. That was um, oh. back in the 80s when, you know, fitness competitions were really like fitness competitions. And, ah, so it was based on really being at a high level of fitness. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And mom was taking pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, always. <laughs> uh, well, um, well, good. Well, um, yeah, um, anything else or um you're you doing uh, you're doing like book tours or just kind of like talks now now that you have the book launch? Um, yeah, I, I'm really super excited about any kind of podcasts or um, things like that to engage with people so mm-hmm. that um, we can just you know chat up the subject and help people become more aware of how it gets connected to yeah um, anxiety and depression and chronic chronic disease just. Uh, create awareness around the subject because I think it's really important. Um, we're given one body in one lifetime and um, there's lots we can do to take care of it. And I'm trying to do my part to contribute how I've learned. That's all I can do. And Excellent. So I'm just, yeah, I welcome that. And um, I mean, Hey, this is fun. I get to meet, I get to get to meet you. So yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to be doing this, um, you know, more often. Great. Well, thank you so much for for spending the time with us, and congratulations again. Um, I think you know I've I've enjoyed reading your your book, and um, I think a lot of people will learn a lot from it. So um, I wish you much success. Thank you so much. I look forward to connecting again. Yes. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the One Thing Podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from it. Forward the, the episode to them and... I'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them. So once again, we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the One Thing Podcast. And again, much appreciation for you being here with me.